When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined here by Ellison Weist. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. You braved the ice and snow <laughs> to get here. I did. I did. A token <laughs> of my love, especially for a Southern girl. You were going to ride the bus, but dear Alex, the podcast producer, was happened to be sort of in your neck of the woods. I'm like, oh, can you pick up Ellison on your way here? I tell you, he's my hero. <laughs> and now, what was the acronym you now have given him? I said that he's my current Yobo crush young boy crush <laughs> he's blushing and it's not at all awkward that we're in a room that is basically dominated by queen size men <laughs> no not at all okay yomo i don't know that Yoma. sounds like a type of yogurt or something <laughs> yomo yeah <laughs> so yeah so we have been snowed in for uh it's coming up on a week since right. uh it started snowing on Tuesday night. Yes. And boy, it came down so heavily, so fast. Yeah. Turns out that that snowfall the night of January 10th was the most snow Portland has gotten since 1980. Yep. 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 They said one to four inches. And we got up the next morning and I looked outside and said, that ain't no one to four inches. (laughs) And I had to leave on a 6 a.m. flight to Salt Lake City for a trade show. And so, and we had our new director of marketing here in the, using it as the guest bedroom instead of the studio. And so at 3.58, I like crept down. I'm like, Katie, Katie, there's a lot of snow out there. <laughs> How did you get? Did you Uber or did you text? Uber uh-huh. in a Toyota Camry with a native Oregonian driving. I mean. <laughs> Please tell me he or she had chains. No, no <gasps> chains. No. Wow. And actually came to full stops at stop signs. So, um, yeah, so we got there and the flight pushed back from the gate exactly on time. So, but we have not, so we had the day before there was a different snow day. There was a, uh, it was Monday. There was an ice day because we got ice. Sunday there was ice. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Monday there was no school and then Tuesday they got to go back to school and then they haven't had school since. Yeah. And it's not looking, we're recording this on Monday, MLK day. It's not looking good for them to have school not on at Tuesday. All. Not at all. Not tomorrow. Yeah. So, so um, <clears throat> since there were two snow days before Christmas break or before, sorry, winter holiday, um, there, my kids have gone to school for five days since December 14th. Oh, my word. Mm-hmm. Oh, my word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yep. So um, it's kind of unbelievable. And uh, but thankfully, you know, I, I you spurred your yak tracks on the way over oh, here. Oh, thank you, Dimity. About eight years ago, Dimity gave me the heads up on yak tracks, and nice. I love them. Yeah, love them. I've had two people stop me and ask me about them this time. Yeah, and they and they're kind of sly because that you can't really see them, particularly like if your running shoes are kind of dark, and so people just think you're like really badass. And it's like, no, 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 I'm not risking life and limb. <laughs> I do have traction devices on the bottom of my shoes. Yeah, um, yeah, so, and they work on ice too. That's the thing that I love about them is because truly. this, mm-hmm. with this snowfall, what's happened is it's packed down, and now we've got these ice, big ice spots, big stretches of ice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Because for people who don't know, I guess there are a few snowplows in the Portland area, but they don't use them, or they're used in very limited capacity. So roads just don't get plowed at all right at all even major roads oh no yeah i mean yeah. you just have to wait until so many people have gone over them and that's the thing that you and i were talking about is people see where portland is on the map mm-hmm. and they think especially my southern friends are like oh you're used to this and i'm no no we average just over three inches of snow each year wow and i mean there's some years that we don't get any right and and it's so you know that that's because so we get a nice warming boost of air coming across the Pacific. Right. So that's why, it, despite being very far north, I mean it's far north or maybe even more northern than parts of Maine, uh, we have a fairly moderate climate out yeah. here. Yeah. So we know how to deal with um, liquid sunshine, but when it turns to white flaky stuff or white frozen stuff, we can't figure no, it out. No, especially for long lengths of time. I mean, yeah. I mean, this just... is. I mean, thankfully we had enough food. Um, I mean, I could tromp to the store, but, um, yeah, I made one foray on Saturday. There was a really lovely mother runner who was here in town. I felt so bad she was visiting from Chicago. Oh. And I had told her beforehand, like, on Twitter, I'm like, oh, Aubrey, it's, you'll be just stunned by how green it is here. (laughs) (laughs) So we met up on Saturday. I'm like, yeah, not so much green. And uh, so we uh, met up and had a late lunch and then um, had uh, massages at Fly Dragon Spa. Oh. You've been there? No. Oh, my gosh. It's, so it's this place over in Hollywood District. And it is um, for $30, you get the one hour, what they call a foot massage. Oh, wait a minute. I think I have. Is that on like... Uh... It's on 42nd. Okay. Northeast yeah. 42nd Ring. Okay. I've, uh, I've driven by it. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. it doesn't look like much from the outside. Right. And um, it doesn't look mu- like much from the inside either. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's very... Um, you lay down, you wear like kind of loose yoga pants and a t-shirt or something. I was wearing another Mother Runner t-shirt. <laughs> and, um, and you'd lay there and there might be a total stranger on a you know, kind of divan like you're lying on, um, you know, if you stretched out your arm and they stretch out your, their arm, you could touch hands, okay. but I don't do that. Um, Good. And, there Good. Some, and there's, you know, some, some Asian music playing and far in the distance, you can hear, you know, a little waterfall type thing. And then they spend, they start on your head and scalp and it's definitely not a feel-good head and scalp massage, but then they work on your arms for a little bit and then they spend a lot of time on your feet. Oh, wow. And it is transporting. Oh. I mean, there are times that then you're like, I think 10 minutes have passed and I don't recall a single thing. Like, I don't recall any sound, any nothing. And it's like, oh, I must have drifted off. So 
So they spend probably half an hour of the whole hour on your feet. But it's not a reflexology. It is reflexology. It is. Oh, yeah. Okay. On your feet, it's reflexology. Okay. Like, and he was definitely doing something funky to the top of my toes this time. It was borderline <laughs> not so pleasant. Uh, but I tell myself, oh, that's good for my liver. That's, that's good for right. my spleen. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Did you go home and <laughs> Google it? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so and then spends a tiny bit of time on the front of your legs. And then you flip over and they work on your the back of your body and oh it is just miraculous thirty dollars thirty dollars for an hour wow and then you know i tip tip the guy 10 bucks but um but so for mother's day jack had given me sheets of paper that said that he and the kids had just written like oh good for one foot massage at fly dragon i'm like thinking honey like I can go anytime I want. I don't need your hall pass to go get the foot massage. Rip. Yep. So then, uh, so uh, that's, I knew that they gave actual, you know, you can go and buy an actual gift card. Right. So for Christmas, he gave me two separate gift cards. Cool. All right. Way to redeem yourself, Jack. (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, so anyway, so it's, uh, it's run by a gentleman who has spent a lot of time in China and he Mm -hmm. has been over there and just loved the spas they have. And he felt like that in all of the U S they didn't have anything comparable. So he opened fly dragon and, um, I mean, it's open from like 11 AM to midnight. Okay. So, you know, I don't know what goes on there later in the day. Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not going to say the yeah, phrase. Yeah. All right. It's so funny because Molly and I joke that like, yeah, no, can you just keep rubbing my feet? I like that. Right. <laughs> that works just fine for me. Yeah, I know it's dark outside, but <laughs> trust me. <laughs> so, um, so um, anyway, yeah. So that's what I, that's been my. Oh, and I went to the library and got two books out of the library. So you know, okay. I, I have ventured to Hollywood District. Good, um, yes. good, yes. Oh, well, so. speaking of books, you have got to read Victoria the Queen by oh. Julia Baird. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, um, and is I take it it's a novel biography. Or? Oh, no, it's a biography. It's a biography. Um, and it's very well written. Um, mm-hmm. She kind of came into a. a treasure trove of some letters uh that had been written i believe i believe by queen victoria's doctor um so she's got some new information but i'm about i'm about a third of the way through and really enjoying it and it sort of you know ties in nicely with the pbs uh, special that started last night Uh, i didn't start watching it didn't get great the the pbs thing did not get great reviews no it didn't Uh, but i think the woman who plays victoria is just such a doll yeah, now what else has she been in? Tell me. Uh, you know, I look, I Googled that once and I promptly forgot. Okay, okay, all right. Um, yeah, I can't remember either, but um, I thought, yeah, I DVR'd it and I thought, I'll give it a chance. Right, and, right. But Same the here. book is excellent. And now is the book super duper long? Uh, it's close to 500 pages. Oh, okay. um, so it's not, and it doesn't, you know, it's another one of those very well written, very, you know, companionable mm-hmm. biographies that I think is very approachable. Oh, good. good. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Speaking of uh, biographies, I have um, book group this evening. Okay. And uh, the when they, uh, my book group, they uh, one night of the year, they choose the books for the whole following year. Right. 
and I couldn't be there. I think I was in an event at foot traffic or something that I couldn't be there. And so they chose for the first book, Hamilton. And I'm like, hello, I would have raised my hand and been like, people, it's more than 800 pages. And it's very, the pages are large. It is. It's very dense. Like there's a lot of words on each page. And so I was like, no, 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 not, we own a copy. I lent it to somebody. And so I got the audible version, the audio version. And, um, but mistakenly got the abridged version, (gasps) like completely unintentionally. But it was my saving grace because that was 19 hours and the the unabridged is, I think, 37 hours. That wouldn't surprise me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah it still ended the same way. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. He's not off living in Boca Raton. <laughs> <laughs> but the, and that was the thing, though, that is it, it gets closer and closer. You're like, no, 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 no don't do it. Right. Don't do it. Like, right. don't leave Liza with, with eight children. Don't get killed a year, a few years after your own son was killed in a duel. Right. I mean, oh. The poor woman. And then she goes on to live another 50 years. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so we're going to discuss it. And there are a few women in the group who read the entire book. Good on them. But it is. I mean, I've got a copy and I still haven't cracked it just because I just, you know, I feel like I've got to wait till a broken leg or. <laughs> that you're in the bunker. Right. The bomb shelter. <laughs> That's right. Or another, if I'd known about yeah. this. Yeah, snow <laughs> Yeah. So, and I just, uh, one of the books I got out is, um, you know, I love true crime. And right. so I got out um, Bobby Kennedy Jr.'s um, book about the Martha Moxley murder in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, um, and so, I mean, you know, I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut, right, right next door to Greenwich. And so, I mean, that case really was huge. And, and I'm, for people who don't know, Martha Moxley was a 15-year-old girl and um, the man who... Keeps getting convicted and then the conviction overturned and conviction reinstated. All this stuff is um, Michael Skakel. Michael Skakel, who is mm-hmm. a um, uh, Kennedy cousin on his mother's side, right? And so, um, so he and Bobby Kennedy Jr. are cousins. And I gotta say, I went into it like thinking Michael Skakel is guilty, right? And already, I'm only about I don't know 110 pages in, and I'm like, oh. Oh, Bobby, you're you're convincing me. Oh no! Well, he's a lawyer by trade, but um, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just I've seen so many interviews with Martha Moxley's mother, and mm-hmm. just breaks my heart. She's a yeah, a very genuine and a very patient woman who yeah. Um, and obviously, you can't let that interfere with right. Right. I got to say that the chapter I just finished last night, uh, Bobby Kennedy made a very convincing argument for possibly being Martha's brother, who was the killer. Oh, dear. And I was like, oh, no, oh, that's really dreadful. No, no. Um, but it also makes it seem like everybody in 1970s Greenwich was drunk off their butts. Oh, I mean, really? Like all the kids all the teenagers drunk, all the parents were drunks, like mm-hmm. parents who were drunks and lit like there was this parents of some Martha's friends and the couple were legally still married, but the husband, the dad lived in the attic and was just like a reclusive alcoholic. 
I'm like, wow. Okay, so like the first, the first Mrs. Uh, what was in Jane Eyre? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except it's a dad. Yeah. It's like crazy. So I mean, ev- they they don't mention anyone without talking about how inebriated they were. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, different times. Different yeah, times. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, I'll be interested to see what you think when you come to the end of it. I mean, I know what he wants you to think. Right. Oh, I mean, he, he makes no apologies about um, saying that he believes his cousin mm-hmm. is most assuredly innocent and um, that he's going to make that case. But also, I mean, there has been a lot of stuff in the news lately about um, Michael Skakel's attorney, um, right. Mickey Sherman, and right. how kind of incompetent he is. Definitely what, so I listened to, I'll get off the true crime kick in a second, but from listening, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts right. and now this book, and it makes you feel like, the law enforcement of right. the 1960s, 70s, and even early 80s, it's amazing they got any convictions well, right. Oh, look at the Jean, Jean Benet Ramsey case. That case. Just, oh. I mean, and oh. O.J. Simpson, you know. Right, I yeah. Mean, and it's like, okay, let's have everybody come in and tromp around on crime scenes. Right. Let's not interview the right people. Or if we do, let's interview a lot of them in the same room. Like, right. <laughs> the same time um so just all these but and then what you realize is well you know a, a town like greenwich hadn't had a murder in 30 years so you know it'd be like asking me to do a murder investigation so um anyway but it's it's certainly obviously um you know makes the time pass when you're stuck inside this book yeah. so it's called yeah. framed yeah. okay so um so anyway, well, let's um, let's get down to our guest today, who is Stacy Sims, PhD. She joins us from half a world away, where it is the summertime. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this respected exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist was formerly at Stanford University, but now she's based in New Zealand. One of her areas of specialty is sex differences in performance and recovery. Stacy Sims is the author of Roar, How to Match Your Food and Fitness to Your Female Physiology for Optimum Performance, Great Health, and a Strong Lean Body for Life. Don't make me say that subtitle <laughs> twice. Um, and she's going to explain to us why we need to stop eating and training like men. Stay with us. Welcome, Dr. Stacy Sims. We're so glad you could join us. Is it okay if we call you Stacy? Of course it is. You can call me Stace if you want. <laughs> get familiar right away exactly um, all right so start by telling us a bit about your own athletic background if you would i know you used to be i know you used to be a big time triathlete and uh what do you currently do to stay fit um well i actually started as a cross-country runner and then got into ultra running um and then translated into triathlon when i went to do my master's degree oh so many years ago uh-huh. uh, then I um, forayed into Ironman and then got really sick and started bike racing. So I got into bike racing, raced on the road professionally for a while, and then got into Xterra. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the weekend before I did Worlds, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. Uh-huh. So I did the, did the race, came home, had a hard pregnancy, um, tore my hip labrum in childbirth. Oh and it went undiagnosed and accumulated in a total hip replacement two years ago. Oh my so goodness! Now, so now I'm like, okay, let's get back into some things. Um, so I towed the line for the first time in 17 years at a half Ironman last weekend. Wow! Congratulations. Good on you. Thanks. How'd it Thanks. go? And I was on the side of the road for 30 minutes with two punctures, but other than that, oh. it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> but your body held up. 
<laughs> yeah, body held up, and now I'm like, back to bike racing. None of this triathlon stuff. It's just not that much fun. Oh my gosh. And I, ha- I have to ask, you you are the, the fitness model in your book, right? No, I wish, oh. but no. Oh, okay, because I, ca- I, w- I would look at the pictures of you online, and then I'd look at, the- and I'm like, well, maybe she's just wearing a lot of makeup in the book. Um, so... <laughs> No, we um, we went back and forth quite a bit with who we wanted to portray in the book because uh, we originally were working with um, an L.A. ad agency and they just kept popping over the super skinny, like blonde, typical L.A.-esque person. I was like, that's not who I want to represent this book. I don't mm-hmm. want someone who looks like they should be on TV and we all know that they're not fit. I want someone who lives a life and can represent all of us. Um, so then they started pushing some pictures pictures around and I was like, you know, with Celine as well, and Celine and I were vetting back and forth, back and forth. And then there were two that came up were like, these two women are perfect. Everyone can identify with them. They're not the blonde Barbie kind of people. Mm-hmm. And you, when you're talking to them, they inspire you to be fit. Not only are they fitness models because that's their job, but they really love it and they love the way they feel. And I was like, that's what I want. I want someone who isn't in it because that's what they look like. They are in it because they love the way fitness makes them feel. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we picked our fitness model. Good, good. Well, that's a good guideline. So now, Stacy, can you give us an overview of your professional background, especially how you arrived at the fascinating field of sex differences in performance and recovery? Yeah, so um, I, like I said, I started as a cross-country runner in high school, and then when I got to Purdue to do my undergrad, I was on the crew team, and I kept... um, you know, in a, in a boat of women, and you, you hear all the anecdotes of, oh, I'm on my period, I feel like crap, I don't know what's going on, just all the stuff you do when you're female, and working with females and teammates and stuff, and um, at the time, I was also trying to figure out what I wanted to do as a, like a major, and I translated into movement sciences and getting into labs and stuff, and I would be the participant and I'd ask questions of, well, why are my results different this week than last week? And why are my results different from the guys? And they kept saying, oh, it's just an anomaly. And only so many times can it be an anomaly. And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) Right. And then the coach is trying to tell you, oh, well, you need to do this, 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 this. And, And I'm like, okay, well, I do this, I feel worse. My teammates do this, and, and we feel worse. So something's, something's not right. Like, the guys are getting fitter and stronger, and we feel worse. So then started really looking at, okay, what's going on here? Why are we different? And really, my academic career stemmed out of the questions I had as an athlete. And when I would feel better, then I'd pass it to my teammates. They would feel better. So I was lucky enough to be able to be selfish as an athlete, but also have the career path to be able to answer the questions. And as I started getting on the pro circuit and working with pros and realizing that everything that almost every female athlete knows is based on science done on men, and they're just trying to say, oh, well, you're a smaller person, so you just need to downgrade some of the stuff we're telling you. And it's like, wait, no, that's not right. You go to any shop and you have women's products, you have men's products, you have women's clothes, you have men's clothes, you have 
women's nutritional supplements, you have men's nutritional supplements. So obviously someone thinks there's a difference. And when you start really looking at menstrual cycle and even some genetic things, there's sex differences in gene expression. I mean, even from birth, you have XX versus XY. It's like, wait, no, there's something inherently wrong with putting everybody in the same pie. And that's kind of my, like, I want to find out. I want to find out. I want to find out. And then it became a career. Nice. Nice. And, and so, and one final thing about your, your background. So you have um, a daughter. Is she about five? Is that right? She's four and a half. She'll mm-hmm. adamantly tell you that she's four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. So your book, Roar, is chock full of fascinating facts about sex differences, and I feel we could talk for hours about them. But for the sake of keeping this podcast to about an hour, um, let's focus on two topics that come up again and again in questions from our tribe on Facebook when we told them that you were joining us as a guest. And those two things are weight loss and management, as well as hormonal changes. So let's mm-hmm. start with those two areas, and then we'll see where, where we veer. Yeah, but first, can you explain the significance of the title, Roar? Uh, I mean, it it stems from, you know, I'm a woman, hear me roar, but it's also quite an empowering word. Like you think about it whenever you hear superhero or, you know, anything, it has to do with power and taking aggression and making it powerful. It's all about roar. So that's, that's how the title came to be. It's more of an empowerment. You get this information and, and you're empowered to, to take on your own physiology and make yourself better. Good. Well, I love the chapter, uh, Making Weight, and here we go talking about weight management and loss, Um, and I think our listeners would find that chapter very helpful. Um, Can you talk about how weight really isn't a one-size-fits-all, and also the concept of body types? Yeah, for sure. Um, So, again, this stems from... you look at the like the magazines and you have so much body dysmorphia and it's hits you when you're a teenager and girls are more susceptible I think because of all the images even when you think about like the TV programs it's okay for the guy to be a little bit overweight and have a flannel shirt hanging out of and not tucked in and he's like the star of the show but the woman has to fit this ideal you know and look perfect Right. And I grew up in the Kate Moss era, and I, I'm freely able to admit, I will never look like Kate Moss. No matter how much I starve myself or, I mean, you know, do all the things that you do when you're a teenager and in your early 20s, I just don't have the bone structure to be like her. And when you start realizing that everyone is a little bit different in the fact that some people can build muscle relatively easily. Some people have long legs and short torsos. Other people have long torsos, shorter legs, and your center of gravity changes and where you put weight on changes. So the one size fits all of a, of a weight loss diet just isn't appropriate. Again, because your body stores lean mass and fat mass at different places. And as you're getting older, that changes. There's also different gene expression and there's different alleles on different genes that tell you or tell your body that you're more sensitive to carbohydrate or not, or you can put on um, lean mass easily or not. So just trying to wade through all of that research and put it into an easy to read, hopefully easy to read chapter to kind of, again, give a woman some empowerment to say, yeah, okay, I see that woman in the magazines and on TV or at the gym, and their physique is different than mine, so I shouldn't be striving to reach that ideal. 
and even when you look at the health professionals and you have dietitians and you have GPs and everyone's giving you the same kind of diet advice, if you take a step back, it's like, well, maybe something that works for you won't work for me because I have more upper body muscle. I look at a kettlebell, I put on weight, you know, muscle mass. But then like my sister who same gene pool, she has a shorter torso um, and she has shorter legs. So, you know, she's shorter than me, but she looks at a kettlebell and doesn't put on weight. Um, it's just because we're just that slightly different. She has a hard time putting on muscle and I don't. So, mm-hmm. of course, our, our genes are the same for the most part, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of like looking at, okay, well, I'm mesomorphic. I put upper body weight on pretty easily. And then my sister is more in, um, endomorphic and has a little bit of, you know, extra body fat around the hips and the thighs like most women do. And so what we eat and how we eat should be different because we store fat differently, we build muscle mass differently, and that's within the family. So when you take it out and look at all these women out there who are all trying to be healthy and get fit and lean, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, yeah. So well, let's dive into a few questions from women in the Train Like a Mother heart rate training groups. Um, they were actually the ones who were clamoring. They were telling us that they really wanted you on the podcast. So um, so uh, in that group, Allison wrote, endurance events cause stress to our bodies and stress makes it hard to lose weight. How can we use food to counterbalance this stress uh, to lose that last 10 pounds? Mm. Yeah, so the other aspect is people think diet or exercise, but it's a combination and knowing how your body responds to a training session. And I say you can use your training session to really nail down your food to maximize body composition change. So when you go for a training session, the whole idea is to stress the body. And if you stress the body, it's to allow the body to understand what that stress is to recover recover stronger and fitter and faster and the breakdown hormones that allow that to happen are primarily cortisol which we all know is also the belly fat hormone but then progesterone comes into play as well because progesterone is very catabolic and when we're thinking about how are we going to manipulate our body composition and allow us to lose weight it's okay you go in fueled and you recover from it And the way that you recover from that stress is really increasing protein, in particular leucine, the amino acid leucine. When you bring leucine into the body, uh, it triggers um, the muscle tissue to start repairing. And as soon as you get that trigger, cortisol drops. So the protein aspect is critical for women across the board, across all lifespan and age span. And we're different from men in the fact things like chocolate milk, they don't work for us because there's not enough protein in uh, the chocolate milk for us to get the amount of leucine we need to trigger no. that in our muscles. <laughs> um, so what, what, what's the alternative then? I say one of the best recovery foods is actually non-fat, cho- or non-fat Greek yogurt. And I say oh. non-fat so that it gets out of your stomach quickly. I'm not an ad- advocate for non-fat stuff, except for before and after training. Oh, that's um, intriguing. Because the Greek yogurt has everything you need. It has the two types of protein. It has um, a fast and a slow release. It has sodium. It has potassium. It has manganese and all these other trace um, vitamins and minerals that you need. It's easy. It's portable. It's easy to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, it is exactly what you need. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then if you can't do dairy, uh, then if you're looking at a vegan source, pea protein doesn't have enough of the leucine. So most of my vegan athletes, I have them use a vegan branched chain amino acid and they add it to their vegan protein to bring that leucine level up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, one of our other listeners, Jackie, has lost 100 pounds in the last 18 months. Kudos to you, Jackie. Yeah. And awesome. she started running 10 months ago, and she's training for her first half marathon coming up this May. Now, she writes, maintaining the weight loss while trying to create the best running body is hard. And she asks, do I need to be on the carb wagon to make it through training, or can I nourish my training body with protein and vegetables adequately? She needs carbohydrate. And this is where a lot of the uh, trends in diets fail women. So the low carbohydrate, high fat, the paleo, all of these type trendy diets. Um, I mean, if you look at the origins of something like the low-carb, high-fat, it started in people who didn't have metabolic control in the hospital, and now it's translated out. There's no performance benefit that's been found. It makes your muscles use more fat during exercise, sure, but the flip side of that is you end up storing more body fat, and you don't have any performance gain. And in women, it's particularly dangerous to endocrine health when you drop too far low in the carbohydrate below about 130 because our endocrine system and our hormone balance needs carbohydrate so when you start thinking about i'm only getting carbohydrate from veggies and fruit that's okay if you're not running but when you are running because there's a higher demand for carbohydrate because you're going through it you need to up your carbs And this is where I was saying, you know, you can look at using your training to be able to fuel for your training and recover and then eat healthily the rest of the time. And this is where you're going to be able to drop that cortisol, fuel for your run, recover from the run, and still manipulate your body composition using specific carbohydrates. Hmm. And when you said 130, um, explain what you mean by 130. 130 grams of carbs per day. Mm -hmm is okay. around the low end that most women should be aiming for. Okay, okay. And and could you expound a little on the idea of the eating right before the run and right, you know, t- so to fuel for your run, to refuel after your run, and then be on a balanced diet during the rest of the time? I, I think that would sure. be an interesting thing to hear. Sure. So if we're looking at, like most of us are time-pressed and we get up and we go for a run because that's generally where it fits in, or we go for a lunchtime run. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're getting up first thing in the morning, you haven't had anything to eat in about 10 hours. So your blood sugar is low and your cortisol is elevated. If you go out for a fasted run, there are two things really that's going to happen. One, you're not going to be able to hit those intensities that you need to to get a significant amount of change. Um, change being adaptation and fitness because it's going to feel harder than you actually are doing because you don't aren't fueling the muscles well and the other aspect of going out in a fasted run is you end up releasing more cortisol plus your elevated baseline cortisol so you end up with this significantly high um, circulating cortisol level which is a signal for um, putting on body fat so if you have something really simple before you go out, you know, for all of us coffee addicts, you have coffee with a little bit of milk 
um, and maybe some maple syrup. So you have a little bit of carb and a little bit of protein before you go. Um, it could be something as simple as, uh, you know, two tablespoons of your non-fat Greek yogurt and um, uh, four ounces of, of almond milk. So you mix it up and it's kind of like a, a little bit of a shake before you go out. So it's not a lot of calories. It's mm -hmm. just enough to bring your blood sugar up and bring that cortisol down. Mm -hmm. And then after, within 30 minutes, getting a good hit of protein. So this is where, again, your non-fat yogurt comes into play, um, protein recovery drink, or you have your next meal within 30 minutes of finishing. So you can play around with meal times as well. So I'm not saying you have to have these extra bits of protein recovery or extra bits of food. You can work your meal times around your training. So if you have a lunchtime run, you have a snack before your lunchtime run, and you go for your run, you come back, and then lunch is your recovery food. So you can, you can work your normal diet in and around your training so that you're not overloading on calories, which doesn't help us lose weight, but you're also enabling your body to work the best way that it can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I used to um, not eat before morning runs because I thought, like, somehow showed, like, that, oh, look how superior I am that I can do this workout. And and I have, since uh, we've had a number of nutritionists on the podcast, and, and they've, I'm like, okay, I finally hear what they're saying. I will eat something before I go out. And like you say, it's it's so much easier to hit the, or it's so less challenging, I should say, to uh, hit the workouts that I'm supposed to and, and um, just not feel like I'm dragging for the first half particularly. Right. And if you're tired, too, and you go out without fueling, it makes it worse because then mm -hmm. you feel not so great and you get depressed. You're like, oh, what is going on? <laughs> right. A little bit yeah. of food helps. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, OK, so let's go into how hormones can affect things. And, and um, so often women on our Facebook page lament that they'll be having their period during a race they've trained months for. And they're like, oh, why, why, you know, I'm, I'm so doomed. Um, but from your book, I get the sense that it's good news. Um, mm. Is it true that women tend to perform better during their period or right before it? And, and why is that? Yeah, I'm laughing that you said that because halfway through my race on Saturday, of course, my period came. And I just had to share that with everyone because of who I am. So like told my coach, posted on Facebook, told all my teammates, and they're like, yeah, of course it happened. And I was like, yeah, I was wondering. But um, the onset of your period is actually your hormones dropping. So women tend to feel really fantastic the day before, the day of, or the day after. And it just depends on how long it takes for your hormones to come down to a lower baseline level. So women really lament, ah, I'm going to feel like crap. I can't perform well. But it's not. It's like the best time because your hormones are dropping and this is where we become, quote, more like men. So all the research mm -hmm. you hear about intensities and core temperature and all that kind of stuff. When estrogen and progesterone are low, then we can access carbohydrate um, more readily. We can hit intensities higher. We have a higher pain threshold. We have a longer time central nervous system fatigue. Um, our core temperature is down by 0.5 degrees C. We have more plasma volume. So all these things work to allow us to, to perform better. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it just depends on like how bad the cramping and inflammation is from your period. And when you start working with 
um, a lot of women and you see like certain oral contraceptive pills do something and then some women feel really, really bad like the day before, you can intervene with some magnesium and some omega-3s and some um, baby aspirin the five days leading up because progesterone and the trigger for the slothing of the uterus is an inflammation response. So if you can reduce the inflammation response, then the period itself isn't as painful or as, um, you know, as lengthy as Hmm. it could be. So there are ways of manipulating things. So when you start bleeding, you're like, I'm bleeding and I didn't have any symptoms, which would be (laughs) awesome. Yeah, so you should be very excited if your period happens on the day of a race, aside from, you know, the obvious problem of the bleeding. But Uh from a performance standpoint, it's fantastic. Oh, nice. Wow. Nice. It's a a present. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, Aunt Flo. Come on, The little little present. Exactly. Along those same lines, it was intriguing to read that hormonal changes during a woman's cycle affect her hydration needs. So can you talk about that a bit? Yeah. So when you have your elevation of estrogen and progesterone, um, which start right after ovulation, um, there's a fluid shift that happens. So you end up losing around 8% of your plasma volume. And the plasma volume is the watery part of the blood that enables us to sweat and have blood circulation. Um, So not only does that happen, but our thirst sensation changes. Um, Our threshold for sweat onset of sweating changes, so we vasodilate more sweat later, but our sweat rate is higher in the high hormone phase. Um, So there's the trigger for losing more body water, as well as not having as much in the blood, and our thirst sensation is not reliable because we don't feel as thirsty. So we're dogged, like just from every angle. (laughs) For the most part, but now that you know this, you can take steps into helping. and the other kicker is, is we're more uh, disposed or predisposed to hyponatremia. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. Got a question because, about that coming your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yep. progesterone competes with the same receptor site as aldosterone, which is a, is a, a, a sodium regulatory hormone. So when you have that competition, your body kicks out more sodium. Um, So we have less total body sodium stores. As with that, we also have a threshold shift that makes us sit closer to clinical hyponatremia in the high hormone phase. So when you couple all that with this greater sweat um, rate, this change about in our thirst sensation, this decrease in the amount of water that's in our blood, all these things can predispose us to hyponatremia. Um, So if it's it's critical... Oh, sorry. Before, can you explain okay. what hyponatremia is to those who are don't don't oh, know? Oh, sure, sure. So hyponatremia is um, pretty much too much water, not enough sodium in the blood, mm-hmm. and when that happens, um, you can have seizures. Uh, it can affect the blood-brain barrier, and you can end up in a very tight clinical space, and it does result in death. Um, so it is a, a serious clinical condition. It doesn't happen all the time, but you're on the borderline in that high hormone phase. So it's just something to be aware of where you're salting your food, you're drinking stuff with sodium in it, you're doing more of a sip, sip, sip instead of, oh, 
beep beep, time to drink a lot of fluid here or <laughs> drink to thirst. Like I don't advise people to drink X amount per hour. I don't advise them to drink to thirst because then that allows the back half of your run to suffer. It's mm -hmm. more, you're taking something that hydrates you, has little sodium, has little glucose, sip, 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 and you're, you're gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. Because I think I think um, the way some people know about hyponatremia is by you know they were saying like when I don't know when there were, seemed like there's always a lot of stories about it seasonally and that oh you know people who are taking five or six hours from a marathon they're drinking way too much water and that it's mm. just as you know the the, the you know, little news blurbs that you read about make it sound as it's summed up that easily that just these people who are out on a marathon course for a really long time are doing their body damage by just taking in water and yeah. it sounds to me like that's an oversimplification of what's going on it is so there's there's a couple of things that can affect the hyponatremia state one is drinking just plain water because water doesn't hydrate you need a little bit of sodium to actually pull that water in if not and you're just drinking plain water that plain water hangs out in your gut and your body leaches sodium from other spaces to put into that water before it can be absorbed so this is where like a woman in the high hormone phase who doesn't have as much total body sodium as she would in the low hormone drinks plain water then she has this issue of more sodium leaching out into to that water in her gut to absorb it mm -hmm. um, the other aspect is something called syndrome of inappropriate um, aldosterone release so if you have a predisposition to not having the trigger to retain sodium um, it's a rarity and it's a clinical condition. This is another reason why people get hyponatremia. The incidence of hyponatremia in the press has had this upsurgence because there's been more awareness, but the actual mm -hmm. incidence of it is not greater. It's just being reported more. Right, that right. Makes it, sense. it definitely so, seems like it's, um, I don't know, that, that like, you know, when there's a, a marathon that's overly warm, like when, you know, every time Chicago is overly warm or New York's overly warm, you know, you definitely hear a lot of news stories about it. Yeah. And um, it just yeah. sort of seems like the, the du jour thing to talk about sometimes. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. It does. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so um, riding the wave of this hydration theme, um, I was delighted to learn that you're now working with our favorite electrolyte replacement tablets, Noon. Mm -hmm. um, so I know something new is getting unveiled this spring, and I suspect that you can't reveal much, but um, can you share any hints? Um, yes. So mm -hmm. Kevin and I, Kevin is the CEO, and we yep. met um, a few years ago at the Women's Running event. And... Um, we're both very similarly minded in changing the industry. Mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of flack from people in the industry saying, you just want to kill business. I'm like, I don't want to kill anybody's business. My goal is to make that nutrition X factor a non X factor. I want people to understand that there are things that they're doing that they probably shouldn't if they want to not have goo gut and bloating and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the big factors is what they're drinking. Like they're not hydrating. So this mm -hmm. is, and then talking to Kevin, part of my big drive of being like the greeny San Franciscan is, <laughs> I don't know, I shouldn't really say that too loud, but it's, it's true. It's like, <laughs> I grew up in the bubble of local sustainable, don't put a whole bunch of crap. You drive down the five towards Hollister, you smell the feedlots and you don't want to be any, anywhere near that kind of, of food industry. So when you start getting into the food industry and understanding there are fillers and flow agents that aren't listed on the label and there mm. are things that you're ingesting, like you pick up a bottle of, of 
uh, you put powder and water in a bottle and you shake it and there's no sediment, then you know there's a filler and a flow agent in there that's making it become completely dissolved. Mm. I don't want that. So anything mm-hmm. that I'm drinking, like I created um, Osmo when I was pregnant because I wanted something that I could drink when I was pregnant and wouldn't harm my, my baby. And I feel like that's what everyone should have. So talking to Kevin, and he's like, I agree. There shouldn't be these these things in the industry. There shouldn't be these issues. People should be able to pick up a product, understand it, know that they're doing good for their body as well as their performance. So we started talking, and when I left Osmo, he's like, you can't leave the industry space. There's, you've done so much for it. We should think about how we can partner and how we can combine forces because the two of us with Noon can create a better good and a greater good. And I was like, exactly. Mm-hmm. So they've done a lot of work to clean up their existing products. They've taken out all the stuff that I've talked about like across other articles and podcasts like the um, the polyethylenes and the glycols and the sugar alcohols and all of these things that cause microbiome distress and gut distress. And they're mm-hmm. looking at using really clean binding agents in their tablets and they're cleaning up everything. Hmm. And then the other side of things is um, I'm not a huge sugar-free person in the fact that you need a little bit of glucose to absorb mm-hmm. fluid. And mm-hmm. they understand that and they want to be able to reach the larger endurance um, audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've partnered for new product innovation. And our first one, again, is coming out in the spring. Um, that's not tablet oriented. So it's a new orientation for noon, but it's still the same concept of it's it's clean, it's beneficial, it's, um, you know, you hear natural, uh, and when I see a natural flavoring, I always think WTF, because you don't really know what that means. It could be mm-hmm. one molecule of a strawberry that somewhere originated in this binding of chemicals. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at non-GMO, we're looking at organic, we're looking at how do we garner real fruit for giving us the fruit flavor and the and the, some of the sugars. So mm. it's all those concepts of we're creating something that's beneficial for performance, but anyone can use it. So, Great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, look forward to it. Yeah. And I have to say thank you, thank you, Stacy, for including a full chapter on menopause. Uh, both Sarah and I have, have, have uh, are past that, and uh, so often fitness authors want to shy away from the topic of the chains, change. Yeah. So can you highlight just a couple of things that uh, women going through menopause need to focus on? Sure. Um, I dove into that world uh, at Stanford. So when I first moved from New Zealand back to the States, I had a job at Stanford and I got taken under the wing of this lovely professor, Marcia Stefanik, and she is the PI for the Women's Health Initiative. So the Women's Health Initiative is the one that is responsible for getting hormone um, replacement therapy in the limelight of saying this is not good for people because of all the health issues that stand from it. So when I started getting more and more into the menopause realm, as well as still being in the athletic realm, I'm like, there's this pocket of women that are going through menopause that are still super active and they're competitive, but there are things that are going on that they're like, well, I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm eating as I did, but I'm putting on belly fat. I'm not recovering. 
I, I can't put on lean mass. My power is going down. I can't tolerate heat. So when you start looking at, at <laughs> deja vu here, yeah. <laughs> you start looking at how estrogen and progesterone affect more than just the reproductive system. It's um, you know estrogen is, is critical for melatonin production and sleep. So if you start dropping off estrogen, then your core temperature can't drop to the point where you sleep well. You have this temperature perturbation. <laughs> Ellison and I are totally nodding. Uh-huh. Our yeah. nodding is making me dizzy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, well, I can't produce enough melatonin because I don't have the trigger that estrogen used to give. I can't, I can't drop my core temperature to get into that deep sleep because estrogen's not there anymore. So how do I mitigate that? So then you're like, okay, well, we can look at tart cherry juice. Tart cherry juice is is fantastic in the fact that it it triggers your body to produce more of its own melatonin. And if you drink it cold, it allows your body temperature to drop to get into that deep sleep. Mm. Um, with the so back then, off, oh yeah. So then, sorry, sorry, do you then recommend drinking it like, you know, a little while before bedtime or? Yeah. 30 minutes before bed, four ounces of cold, tart cherry juice. Uh-huh. You're going to sleep okay. like a baby. Oh, wow. All right. I'm putting Ooh. it on my shopping list. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and what about strength training, too? Is yeah. that, as we age, is that something that we should alter as Super well? Super critical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because with the drop of progesterone and estrogen, we also lose a, a signal for um, increasing lean mass. In particular, we lose the fast switch fiber and neuromuscular aspect. So when women start going, you know, or be approaching menopause and perimenopause and beyond, doing power-based training to get that neuromuscular stimulus is super important. One, it allows us to um, preserve power and, and, and speed, but the other is it keeps signaling the body to regenerate muscle mass. So instead of becoming sarcopenic, we actually are able to regenerate and to keep and preserve our lean mass. Um, Strength training also um, works on bone mass because women tend to lose about one-third of their bone mass at the onset of menopause for that first five years post-menopause. So you really want to be cognizant of how do I preserve that bone mass. It's the vitamin D in strength training because you need that stress. Running, they say, you know, running is really high impact, but it's not enough to generate that bone um, stress that you need to to regenerate and keep bone mass. So when you start adding in a power-based training, so plyometrics and, and high-intensity, lower rep kind of, of of resistance training, it helps with the lean mass and helps with the bone mass. Okay, so high intensity, so so heavier weights, fewer number of reps then? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I always say like the zero to six rep range where oh. zero means like by the time you finish your three sets, you're barely able to finish one. So okay. it's like heavy and yeah. you shouldn't be afraid of it. Like it's all relative. Um, and the older you get, it could be just doing body weight plyometric stuff. That That's good enough. So the younger you are and the stronger you are, try to maintain that by doing more of your neuromuscular work, which is the heavy weight stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you get older and you're like, well, I feel like I don't have the right form, I might get injured, then this is where you start adding more plyometric stuff. I think this is also why CrossFit's become so popular because it is an emphasis on form and heavier weights and and really working to a a level I don't think the general population has been exposed to before. 
Yeah. Um, I so mean, when you when you start suggesting that, my first thought was CrossFit. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and there's a time and a place. It's like if you're not a, a, into Olympic lifting, then you don't go on the one rep max days. Like that's <laughs> kind of pointless. But the the you know the ten rep range or the five rep range with proper form, using heavier weight and doing the high metabolic stuff with body weight and plyo stuff is great. It's it's fantastic. Uh huh. 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 And and as a side note, like, I mean, I'm always intimidated by CrossFit gyms. I always think, like, if I'm not going to totally buy into the, like, every other day and do exactly what they say, then I shouldn't go there. But you're making it sound like you can kind of make it a la carte with yeah. CrossFit. Oh. oh, you should come with me. I uh, <laughs> Okay, I I'm there. I'm going to New Zealand to do awesome. CrossFit. <laughs> awesome. I dabble. I check out the workout, and I'm like, ah, you're doing uh, one rep max of clean and jerk. I don't think I'm coming today. But oh. then you look, you're like, oh, look at that. You're doing five rounds of five clean and jerks of, you know, like 50%. And you're doing burpees and you're doing sit-ups and you're doing push-ups. And then you might be doing some deadlifts. I'm there. Oh, so, all right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just, I feel the, you know, there's such a culture and I just feel like they'll be like, oh, who's the new girl? And why doesn't she show up like she's supposed to? Um <sighs> So. I know that is one of the misconceptions, but you just kind of wander and you're like, I'm a three day a week, week girl or I'm a two day a week girl. And they're like, OK, uh-huh. just come in. Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I might have to, I might have to give it a shot. Um, OK. And this final question is kind of random, but um, but I have to ask, please share the Tums tip that's in your book for preventing <sighs> GI distress, because I just thought that was a beautiful hack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tums is calcium carbonate, and there's two aspects. If you get the peppermint Tums, peppermint is a natural Mm -hmm. anti-nausea, just like ginger. So that helps with um, vagal nerve stimulus. So when you stimulate the vagal nerve, this is when you feel nauseous, and you get that parasympathetic, like, oh, I'm so tired and nauseous. So Mm -hmm. peppermint helps with that. But the calcium carbonate also helps... um, by allowing your intestinal cells to kind of stick together a little bit more. Mm. And then calcium also helps with cramping because you need calcium and magnesium both for um, a muscle contraction. Mm -hmm. And our body holds tightly to magnesium, but we lose a lot of calcium through sweat and other aspects. So if you're bringing calcium in, then it Mm -hmm. helps with neuromuscular contraction. It helps with gut integrity, and it also helps with nausea if it's the peppermint. And it's super easy. Yeah, I know. So, so you know, one, two, I mean, what do you, what do you, what's the RX? Start with one, see how you go. Um, uh-huh. And I, I mean, if you're out on a long run, if you get the Tums with sugar in it, they can work as glucose tablets too. Oh, look so at that. then you have a, a one, two punch all in your pocket. I think we need to rally them to make ginger Tums though, because, mm. you know, then, then you'd get that, you know, belly calming um, effect too. Yeah, so, you would. Yeah, there we go. You right. you work on that. I, right. I know that. <laughs> they have ginger ginger chews over here that aren't quite the same, but Oh my my um younger daughter adores these ginger chews. They have some funny name to them. Um we get them occasionally at Whole Foods. They have like a very pretty name to them. And um she Yeah, I know what one you're talking about and I can't remember the name. Oh, I need to yell out um there's no school, so my daughter's like hiding in the next room. I should yell out, What's the name of those ginger things? Yeah. Oh. oh my goodness well it has been very fun to talk to you stacy thanks so much for enlightening us about um why women are so different thanks for having me it's been lots of fun i appreciate it great great take care you too
And I gotta say, careful listeners might notice that Ellison is not on the podcast anymore. She had to dash to make a bus because uh, there's limited bus service because it is a holiday and the snow. So um, so I let her break out right toward the end of that interview. So <laughs> a little, little behind the scenes thing. Um, all right. To stay up on all the latest from another mother runner, whether it's our retreat, sales in our online store, or new programs in the Train Like a Mother Club, follow us on social media. Our Facebook page shares the same name as this podcast, Another Mother Runner. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at The Mother Runner, and we'd really appreciate it if you would follow us. It'll help you stay current on all things AMR, as well as maybe give you a nudge out the door if your motivation flags. Thanks, and many happy miles. Happy miles.